Chapter 19 of Eben Holden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Eben Holden, A Tale of the North Country by Irving Batchelor. Chapter 19. Tip Taylor was, in the main, a serious-minded man. A cross eye enhanced the natural solemnity of his countenance. He was little given to talk or laughter unless he were on a hunt, and then he only whispered his joy. He had seen a good bit of the world through the peak sight of his rifle, and there was something always in the feel of a gun that lifted him to higher moods. And yet one could reach a tender spot in him without the aid of a gun. That winter vacation I set myself to study things for declamation specimens of the eloquence of Daniel Webster and Henry Clay and James Otis and Patrick Henry. I practiced them in the barn often in sight and hearing of the assembled herd, and some of those fiery passages were rather too loud and threatening for the peace and comfort of my audience. The oxen always seemed to be expecting the sting of the bullwhip. They stared at me timidly, tilting their ears every moment, as if to empty them of a heavy load, while the horses snorted with apprehension. This haranguing of the herd had been going on a week or more when Uncle Eb and I, returning from a distant part of the farm, heard a great uproar in the stable. Looking in at a window, we saw Tip Taylor, his back toward us, extemporizing a speech. He was pressing his argument with gestures and the tone of thunder. We listened a moment, while a worried look came over the face of Uncle Eb. Tip's words were meaningless, save for the secret aspiration they served to advertise. My old companion thought Tip had gone crazy, and immediately swung the door and stepped in. The orator fell suddenly from his lofty attitude and became a very sober-looking hired man. "'What's the matter?' Uncle Eb inquired. "'Practicin,' said Tip, soberly, as he turned slowly, his face damp and red with exertion. "'For what?' Uncle Eb inquired. "'For the asylum, I guess,' he answered with a faint smile. "'You don't need no more practice,' Uncle Eb answered. "'Looks to me as though you was pretty well prepared.' To me there was a touch of pathos in this show of the deeper things in Tip's nature that had been kindled to eruption by my spouting. He would not come in to dinner that day, probably from an unfounded fear that we would make fun of his flight, a thing we should have been far from doing once we understood him. It was a bitter day of one of the coldest winters we had ever known. A shrieking wind came over the hills driving a scud of snow before it. The stock in the stables, we all came in soon after dinner and sat comfortably by the fire with cider, checkers, and old sledge. The dismal roar of the trees and the wind wail in the chimney served only to increase our pleasure. It was growing dusk when Mother, peering through the sheath of frost on a window pane, uttered an exclamation of surprise. "'Why, who is this at the door?' said she. "'Why, it's a man in a cutter!' Father was near the door, and he swung it open quickly. There stood a horse and cutter, 
a man sitting in it, heavily muffled. The horse was shivering, and the man sat motionless. "'Hello!' said David Brower in a loud voice. He got no answer and ran bareheaded to the sleigh. "'Come, quick, Holden!' he called. "'It's Dr. Bigsby!' We all ran out then, while David lifted the still figure in his arms. "'In here, quick!' said Elizabeth, opening the door to the parlor. "'Mustn't take him near the stove!' We carried him into the cold room and laid him down, and David and I tore his wraps open while the others ran quickly after snow. I rubbed it vigorously upon his face and ears, the others meantime applying it to his feet and arms, that had been quickly stripped. The doctor stared at us curiously and tried to speak. "'Get up, Dobbin!' he called presently, and ducked as if urging his horse. "'Get up, Dobbin! Man'll die before we get there!' We all worked upon him with might and main. The white went slowly out of his face. We lifted him to a sitting posture. Mother and Hope and Uncle Eb were rubbing his hands and feet. "'Where am I?' he inquired, his face now badly swollen. "'At David Brower's,' said I. "'Huh?' he asked, with that kindly and familiar grunt of interrogation. "'At David Brower's,' I repeated. "'Well, I'll have to hurry,' said he, trying feebly to rise. "'Man's dying over—' He hesitated thoughtfully. "'On the plains,' he added, looking around at us. Grandma Bisnette brought a lamp and held it so the light fell on his face. He looked from one to another. He drew one of his hands away and stared at it. "'Somebody froze?' he asked. "'Yes,' said I. "'Hm. Too bad. How did it happen?' he asked. "'I don't know.' "'How's the pulse?' he inquired, feeling for my wrist. I let him hold it in his hand. "'Will you bring me some water in a glass?' he inquired, turning to Mrs. Brower, just as I had seen him do many a time in Gerald's illness. Before she came with the water his head fell forward upon his breast while he muttered feebly. I thought then he was dead, but presently he roused himself with a mighty effort. "'David Brower!' he called loudly, and trying hard to rise. "'Bring the horse! Bring the horse! Must be going, I tell you. Man's dying over on the plains!' He went limp as a rag then. I could feel his heart leap and struggle feebly. "'There's a man dying here,' said David Brower in a low tone. "'You needn't rub no more.' "'He's dead,' Elizabeth whispered, holding his hand tenderly and looking into his half-closed eyes. Then for a moment she covered her own with her handkerchief, while David, in a low, calm tone that showed the depth of his feeling, told us what to do. Uncle Eb and I watched that night while Tip Taylor drove away to town. The body lay in the parlor, and we sat by the stove in the room adjoining. 
In a half-whisper we talked of the sad event of the day. "'Never oughta gone out on a day like this,' said Uncle Eb. "'Don't take much to freeze an old man. "'Got to thinking of what happened yesterday and forgot the cold,' I said. "'Bad day to be absent-minded,' whispered Uncle Eb, as he rose and tiptoed to the window and peered through the frosty panes. "'May a got faint or something. "'Old Hoss brought him right here. "'Been here so often with him.' He took the lantern and went out a moment. The door creaked upon its frosty hinges when he opened it. Thirty below zero he whispered as he came in. "'Wind's gone down a little bit, maybe.' Uncanny noises broke in upon the stillness of the old house. Its timbers, racked in the mighty grip of the cold, creaked and settled. Sometimes there came a sharp, breaking sound, like the crack of bones. "'If any man ought to go to heaven, he had,' said Uncle Eb as he drew on his boots. "'Think he's in heaven?' I asked. "'Ain't a doubt of it,' said he, as he chewed a moment, preparing for expectoration. "'What kind of a place do you think it is?' I asked. "'For one thing,' he said deliberately, "'nobody'll die there, lest he'd ought to. "'Don't believe there's going to be any need of swearin' or quarrelin'. To my way of thinking, it'll be a good deal like Dave Brower's farm. Nice, smooth land, and no stun on it, and hills and valleys, and white clover aplenty, and wheat and corn higher in a man's head. No bull thistles, no hard winters, no narrow contracted fools, no long faces, and plenty of work. Folks saying, how do you do, stead of good-bye, all the while, coming, stead of gain. There's going to be some kind of fun there. I ain't no idea what tis. Folks like it, and I kind of believe that when God's given a thing to everybody, he thinks pretty middlin' well of it. Anyhow, it seems a hard thing to die, I remarked. Seems so, he said thoughtfully. Just like everything else, them that knows much about it don't have a great deal to say. Looks to me like this. I calculate a man has on the average ten things his heart is sought on... What is the word I want? Treasures, I suggested. That's it, said he. Everyone has about ten treasures. Some have more, some less. Say, one's his strength, one's his plan, the rest is them he loves, and the more he loves, the better tis for him. Well, they begin to go one by one. Some die, some turn agin him. Finds it hard to keep his allowance. When he's only nine, he's got exactly one-tenth of his dread of dying. By and by, he counts up one, two, three, four five, and that's all there is left. He figures it up careful. His strength is gone, his plan's a failure, maybe, and this one's dead, and that one's dead, and t'other one better be. Then it's about half ways with him. 
If he lives till the ten treasures is all gone, God gives him one more. That's death. And he can swap that off and get back all he's lost. Then he begins to think it's a pretty dumb good thing after all. Pretty good thing after all, he repeated, gaping as he spoke. He began nodding shortly, and soon he went asleep in his chair. End of chapter 19 Recording by Roger Moline